Oh, man. If you smell something, that's just me. All right. You ready? <laughs> Somebody sh in their pants at that's Steve after watching the trailer for Descent. I'm leaving that in. Okay. <laughs> There's a good intro to yeah, this one. That's right. All right. Let's do this. All in right. Three, two, one. I've been a radio personality for over a decade, a job that's repeatedly pushed me out of my comfort zone. Because of that, I've grown in ways I never thought possible. But here's the thing I'm not superhuman. I'm just an ordinary guy who dared to try some new things and enjoys exploring the unknown. Now, life is short, and I realize there's still plenty of work to be done. As they say, if you're not growing, you're dying. So together, let's grow that comfort zone. I'll show you it is possible. You're going to hear me get uncomfortable, and I challenge you to do the same. Welcome to Comfort Zone Chronicles. My name is Steve, joined by my voice of reason, Dave Crookshank. Hello, sir. <laughs> I've never been called that before. <laughs> we'll test it out, see where it goes. It's an interim title. Okay, it'll, I'll take it until I ruin it. Yeah, It'll probably be taken away. <laughs> we are sitting in a room right now that's, oh, I would say the size of your average bedroom. Mm -hmm. I don't have much problem. But say you turn off the lights, bring in the walls three, four feet, and remove the doors, I I might just freak out. I might get a little claustrophobic, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Claustrophobia. Or confined space. Oh, he's just turned the lights down a little bit. I have computer control of the light, so I'm like my, oh. my cell phone. <laughs> Now it's completely dark in here. And red. Yeah, I think, yeah, you got a little red light going on. <laughs> kind of sets the mood for this one. Confined spaces. Basically, let's talk about the dictionary definition first. Merriam-Webster's defines claustrophobia as a feeling of discomfort caused by being in a limiting or restrictive situation or environment. Now, the idea for this episode comes from an experience I had about 11 years ago, I believe. Shortly after I moved to Medicine Hat, began my media career here, the Medicine Hat Fire Service held a media training day. So everybody from the radio stations, the newspaper, and the television station were invited down, and we did a series of firefighter activities mm -hmm. a lot of them were cool like i got to rappel down the side of a building that was awesome use the fire hose even the jaws of life have you used the jaws of life? i have not i oh, have not man. to have that power in your hand it's incredible it really is <laughs> it's, but the one that really freaked me out and you may have a similar experience on this one but it was a trailer that had compartments and tunnels so this is what happened. I was in full firefighter gear, and I'm talking mask, oxygen tank, and what they do is they open up this trailer, put you inside, close the door, and it's completely dark in there. And like I said, little tiny tunnels to crawl through. Basically, you had to feel with your hand, feel your way through these holes and, and levels and get your way out of the trailer. Now, in the dark, cramped spaces, and with this oxygen tank and mask on, that is some freaky stuff. So, was it just dark, or was it smoke-filled? It was just dark. Just dark, yeah, yeah. Just dark. But I had, I don't believe that I finished 
No. I, I think I just had to bang on the side of the wall and say, uh, please let me out. I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. So what was the, what was it that caused you to tap out? Uh, I think there was two things. Not knowing where the exit was, was a big one. Not knowing where I was in complete darkness. But the other piece of this puzzle would have to do with the, the mask and the oxygen tank. Which oh. is a self-contained breathing apparatus. Scuba. That is one thing that also freaks me out. And scuba diving is something I want to explore on another episode. But I did try scuba diving a while ago and I, I just couldn't do it. With the breathing apparatus, putting my head underwater, I just couldn't do it. I don't know if there's a distinction in the equipment. I know scuba is self-contained underwater breathing. That's what scuba is. Mm-hmm. So SCBA is just scuba, I guess, which is yeah, the firefighter <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. I just, I, I know as soon as I said scuba, people out there are thinking, you're wrong, you're wrong, that's underwater. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to explore that. Yeah. Something about the, the breathing apparatus. Maybe it reminds me too much of Darth Vader. You know, that... <laughs> I might, yeah, you know, from my childhood, he used to freak me out, but there's something about the mask and the sound and mm-hmm. the whole breathing apparatus. I kind of have a problem with that at any point in that. And I always, I don't have a lot of fears and I take a rational look at fears. And a lot of times, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, do you, does your, does your, your conscious brain say, this is designed to be scary, but I'm actually in a controlled environment. So that can give you a, a, a fear relief. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely was some fear relief. Like I said, I was able just to hit the side of the trailer and, and they got me out. So I knew I was in a safe environment. If I was going to freak out, there was people there too. Cause there would be a, a big difference between that and if you were actually in a real fire where there was actual danger. And this is where you have to give the tip of the cap to people who do that for a living. 100%. The firefighters, because yeah, when they're in a situation like that, full gear in a life and death situation, like I'm sure there's a lot of, not sure, I know there's a lot of training that goes into that. And it probably takes a certain kind of individual to be able to do that on a daily basis, to be able to put themselves in a situation like that. I don't think I'm that person based on that experience I had and uh, another experience that I'll touch on later. But that experience 11 years ago is the primer for this whole confined spaces, what I want to explore. And as I was looking into claustrophobia yesterday, um, a lot of the websites I was looking at talked about how it could be a childhood experience that, that causes claustrophobia to Mm -hmm. appear later in life and i thought about that for a minute and there was one incident that i can remember and it's actually probably one of the first memories i have i was either i think it was four four or five but at my grandmother's house my grandma and uh, grandpa's house and i know it was i was in her closet and there was kind of a crawl space at the back that i was playing in Anyway, I ended up getting locked in somehow. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Completely dark. Don't know how to get out. I just remember yelling and yelling and yelling for dear life because I didn't know how I was going to get out of this room. How old would you have been at this time? I think I was four. It was either four or five years old. And so I just screamed as loud as I could. And my grandma did come and rescue me. (laughs) But... I've never forgot that incident, and I'm not sure if that plays into 
my whole fear of these confined spaces, which I'm not sure how much of a fear I actually have. Because when, when I'm looking at confined space, uh, sorry, when I was looking at claustrophobia, they were talking about people in like a windowless room or small cars, tunnels. Mm-hmm. That can trigger claustrophobia in a lot yeah. of people. And yeah. the only situations I can really think of was this being in a really tight, dark area where I don't know where the exit is. That's the only problem I have, I think. Yeah, I think extreme claustro- extreme claustrophobia, you know, you can get into that just by being in a room this size that's, that's windowless or whatever. Mm-hmm. And some people just have that um, kind of, I don't, I just do not want to be in any confined spaces, even if they're not super, super enclosed in. Yeah. So there's levels of that yeah. fear, right? Yeah. Elevators, probably a big one for some people. Right. And I, I remember as a kid, having a situation where, um, you know, me and my cousins were playing and, and I would get in, hide in the, in the toy box or whatever, yeah. you know, and then the, 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 whichever cousin it was knew I was in there. So came and sat on the top. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so this is a situation where you try to get out and you can't, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, come on guys, that's yeah. enough. And, and nothing's happening. And then you start to get into that panic and you can't see my arms, but I'm like banging on the, yeah. banging on the roof of the thing. Yeah. I think, a lot of people have probably been in a situation like that, whether it's uh, in a toy box or, say, being in a closet and your older brother or younger brother holds it closed so you can't get out. Yeah. And that can trigger some mild claustrophobia, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So I did approach the Medicine at Fire Service about, uh, once again, trying out that particular trailer. However, with COVID being on right now, the whole COVID pandemic they politely declined my request, which I completely understand just to keep them safe and keep our city safe. So that is out. But I was able to get in touch with a local business, Safety Buzz Campus, and they deal with all things safety training. Okay, And they actually do run a confined spaces course. So I've been in touch with them and I will be going out to Safety Buzz where they're going to strap on the self-containing breathing apparatus and send me through a couple of their confined space training buildings. Buildings might not be the right word. I believe they're just kind of boxes that they've built. One's in a trailer, one's in an actual, I think it was plywood. I did go out there earlier and see them, but they're going to run me through there and we'll see what happens. So how... How does this make you feel knowing that this is coming? Are you, are you, do you have trepidation about this or because you have been in this situation yeah. before? This isn't a necessarily a new experience from the beginning, but, yeah. but, um, going from start and actually finishing it, that'll be a new experience for you to see if you can actually get through it and, and force yourself to not <laughs> yes. quit, right? Yeah. I don't know how I feel right now. I mean, it's a few days before I actually go out there, and uh, the the big thing in my mind right now is this breathing apparatus. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's freaking me out more than anything, but once you strap that on and get me in the dark in a tight space, all those factors combined, I'm not sure how I'm going to react. As far as I can remember, the, the SCBA does not restrict your breathing at all. You get... As much oxygen yeah. or as much, it's not even oxygen, it's air that you're yeah. breathing, condensed air. Um, it's, yeah, it's just got to be the fact that you've got a piece of glass or plexiglass three inches from your face 
that you're entirely covered. You feel like you're in a room. Yeah. When you're breathing, you hear your breath or whatever. So you're in this bubble and then you're in a dark enclosed space in the outer world. So that could be kind of a multi-level feared inducing. <laughs> and I didn't really connect the dots until you kind of started there. Having that mask on, that's kind of confining yourself in another As way. It is, yeah, yeah. So you're in two different bubbles. You've got the you've got the oxygen on your back, which is pressing you down into the ground just by yeah. gravity. So you're you're compressed on so many different levels in these multiple enclosed spaces. It's a compounding factor, right? Yeah, that could be one of the reasons why I'm not looking forward to to the breathing apparatus because it's confining me in another way. Boy, I never really thought about that. There you go. Until yeah, now. I just increased your anxiety <laughs> even more. So, so let's talk about then what you can do when you're in this situation to calm yourself down or to like, yeah. what do you have a strategy for mitigating fear? I really don't right now. I've been, you know, dabbling in, in meditation, breathing practices, not heavily, but I do have a, an understanding. So that's going to be one approach mm -hmm. to get me through this but i will be talking to some people from safety buzz who run these courses and that's exactly what i want to explore because people do do this for a living that is their job whether it's uh, getting in the tank of a truck or a train in silos pipelines manholes all these things i've been researching that is their job so they have to go through this training and they have to have the skills to deal with that. So I will explore some ways that you can ease that fear, that anxiety. Some people also go through ducks for a living. And I'm always reminded of Die Hard and John <laughs> McClane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was in that situation, would I be able to shimmy my way through those ducks like John McClane did? I don't know. Now, we were talking just before we went to air here uh, about uh, the movie Descent, which oh. I, I, had, I had recommended this to you before, that if you're going to go into confined spaces, watch this movie. Okay, and I'd never really heard of The Descent, and yeah, right before we hit record on the mics, you showed me the trailer. The trailer yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's a bit freaky. And on top of that, getting ready for this whole episode, I made the mistake of uh, YouTubing cave diving, cave exploration, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even fear factor. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. So yesterday, in preparation for this, I was watching people going through caves and some of these tight spaces, and I was getting a bit nervous. One of them, they were actually in these tight little caves with, with scuba gear on, and it was so tight that they couldn't even have the oxygen tank on their back. Oh, they have to push it through. Wow. Oh, man, I was getting some... I've heard of that. Yeah, anxiety watching that. There's a name for it. I can't remember offhand. But some of these Fear Factor episodes I'm watching, too, uh, they got put into a coffin and buried alive. And the other one, I think they were in a morgue drawer. That's not the type of situation I really want to find myself in. There's an episode of CSI Las Vegas where one of the, this is, this was actually one of the Tarantino directed episodes of CSI Las Vegas where one of the, the guys actually gets buried alive inside a glass casket. I'm not exactly sure what the motivation for it was, um, but just the way Tarantino explored claustrophobia in that mm. episode was really amazing too. There's one more experience that I did have. Uh, a few years ago that I'm going to re-explore to prepare me 
to get into the confined spaces simulators mm-hmm. at Safety Buzz, and that is a um, sensory deprivation. Oh, right, float tank. So that's first on my list. I've done it twice before, and I was not able to. It's an hour and a half float. Both times I've done it, I have not been able to make it the full 90 minutes without having to open the door and just take a breather to reset everything. So what happened? How long did you go? How long? Inside? Mm -hmm. Uh, I probably made it halfway through, perhaps 45 minutes or so. So what changed? It's the feeling of, you you get all mixed up inside the float tank. But you're not completely submerged, right? Your head is always above water, so... Yeah, it's just... Again, not knowing where the exit is, not having my bearing straight as to if I needed to get out of here, which way is out. So it's a loss of control. Loss of control is probably a good way to put it. I guess I'd like to know, yeah, have some control, at least know where the exit is Mm -hmm. in case of danger. I mean, that doesn't really play into these situations because they're, they're very controlled and safe being in the float tank or with these confined right. space simulators I'll be in. There is a safety element there, but you know, maybe it's some sort of primal instinct to have an out, know how to get out in case things take a turn for the worse. And, and, and I guess that's where I have the problem. I want to know how to get out in case something were to happen. So when I lose that control, I guess that's when I really start to have a problem. And maybe that's where the fear comes in. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, the fear of a lack of control of your environment. I can't wait to see how this turns out. My first stop was Nirvana 101, a local metaphysical store where they have two float tanks. Now, if you're not familiar, these tanks are lightproof, soundproof, and have water that's jam-packed with salt, so you just float to the top, and the water is heated to body temperature, which eliminates all external senses. Also why they're called sensory deprivation tanks. Now, I sat down with Alyssa McIver, the float facilitator, and she began to tell me her story and how she got obsessed with the practice after her first float. She was pregnant at the time and suffered from sciatic nerve pain, but after waking up from that float, the pain was gone for four months. When you say you woke up, did you fall asleep in the tank? Um, so it does It does feel like you fall asleep. <laughs> so you hit that, that theta um, brainwaves mm-hmm. set. So the only time we hit that is when we're dreaming. So when you're falling asleep and when you're waking up. So to the average person, um, when you hit that theta state, it does feel like you're sleeping. Like you're going to equate it to be like, I think I, I think I fell asleep. I had a nap. Sometimes people will <sighs> snore and bring themselves back kind of deal. But you're actually not sleeping in that that brainwave zone. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you have a strong meditative practice, you, you know this and you, that's, that's the same zone you're hitting when you're meditating as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, floating has been called like the dumb man's meditation because you just get it and it happens okay. naturally. Well, yeah. that's good because I've dabbled in some meditation, but haven't really, you know, made any strides. So. Right. 
Uh, so you touched on some of the, the physical, the mental, what other benefits are we getting from floating? Um, well, just the magnesium absorption right off the bat, because in each tank there is 1,100 pounds of Epsom salts. So that is magnesium sulfate, and that is just able to absorb through your skin. Um, so even if we're eating magnesium-rich foods, sometimes our body is not doing what it should with that, and it's just passing through anyways, and we're not uh, getting that magnesium absorption. So this is a really good way to even just get that magnesium absorption. Um, so there's been a ton of sports teams mm -hmm. um, that actually have float tanks in their in their facilities for training um, for that reason, as well as enhancing their performance because of the brain shutdown, right? Okay. Yeah. 1,100 pounds of salt, that blows my mind. And this isn't the kind of salt that you're putting on your French fries, right? No, no, no. <laughs> this is a, So this is magnesium sulfate. So that's, yeah, um, it definitely doesn't taste like salt. It tastes like garbage. Oh, good. So don't drink the water. No, definitely don't. It's got a kind of a metal-y taste and that's the sulfur, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so 1,100 pounds and I believe, what, nine or 10 inches of water in the tank? Yeah, 10 inches of water, 10, 10 to 11. So with all that salt in there, there's basically no way you can sink. No, there is no way. If you drop a bowling ball in there, it will just pop up. Oh, really? Yeah, I've had a few people that have said, oh, I don't float, I sink. And I say, well, if you sink, then the float's on me. And <laughs> I haven't given away one that way yet. Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about the, the tank itself. We've covered the salt, the depth of water. I've seen your tanks, like I've, I've done two floats here before, right. and the best way I can describe the tank is if you've ever worked in uh, a restaurant or a kitchen, it's like a walk-in cooler is totally. the best way to describe yeah. it. And yeah. that is that is a quite a popular way to describe yeah. it, yeah. What are the, the dimensions inside there? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> so I'm six feet, so it's definitely... Yeah, so I've, I have had uh, my tallest floater at this point was 6'4", and he could still put his hands above his head. Oh, okay. Um, and he, if he stretched, he could touch, and he could touch both walls if he stretched his hands out. But you can't stand up, I imagine? In the floating? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Would I stand and be able to stand? Yeah. I can't um, remember. When I'm washing the roof, I'm reaching over my oh. head, so I can still reach the roof. Okay. Um, I'm tall. I'm 5'8", so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're definitely, definitely standing in there. All right. <laughs> my memory is a little foggy, but okay, so it's actually quite roomy in there. It is quite roomy. Okay, but once you get that door closed and it's completely dark, now this is where I've had the problem the last two times yeah. that I've floated. I think I've probably made it 40, 45 minutes, and then it's almost like I lose direction or get all messed up in there, and I have to know where the exit is, and I start panicking. Totally. Is this quite common among people who float? Definitely. Even when I got in my tank for the first time, the first time I closed that door, it was like, oh my goodness, it's dark. And I don't have a problem with the dark. I don't have a problem with space, but mm -hmm. it, it is, it comes right up around you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think I have a problem with claustrophobia, No. but I do get a feeling after so long in the float tank, it just kind of creeps up on you that I, I need to get a breath or I need to know where the exit and see some light is. So what kind of techniques, I guess, would you recommend to people to combat that? Um, so breathing techniques are definitely just um, focusing on that breath. Um, mm -hmm. I do advise to take a minute too. If it's getting to be too much, yeah. Um, just yeah, open that door up, find your bearings, hop back in if, if you're able to. Um, 
I do have quite a few that will, um, regulars that will only stay in for an hour. They, they come, they, they get to that relaxation point and then they're good. They're, I feel like now I know that you haven't got there though. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now there'll be a little bit more conversation on your way out. <laughs> well, this is why I wanted to try it again to see if I could really calm myself. You know, like totally. I said, I've dabbled in some meditation since the last time I've been here. So I'm hoping that'll help and any other techniques that you can provide. Is there anybody who just has not been able to do it? Um, I have one gentleman that got out after 15 minutes and he just, it wasn't for him. No. Um, that actually kind of reminds me of my significant other because he likes to float for 20 minutes. <laughs> and, like, and that's it. I'm like, you're not even bored. Like you, you what you want to do is you want to hit that almost bored spot mm -hmm. and then the magic happens. Oh. But he won't push through that board. He just gets out. So <laughs> one day maybe, right? That's it. It's not a feeling of no, claustrophobia. Well, I've never explored that. Because every time I've asked him, he's like, I don't know, I was bored. <laughs> um, but besides the two, both gentlemen, um, everybody else that has come, and lots have come with a uh, claustrophobia issue, mm -hmm. um, we work through some ways. There's a few different things that I can do to make that less of an issue, um, such as putting like the cloth in between the door. Sometimes that's enough just because then you can feel the cloth. You know that something's in between the door and the outside. Uh -huh. um, some more extreme cases of anxiety will use like an extra towel as like a weighted blanket. Okay. Um, and that kind of just seems to ground them enough and get them in. Um, I also have a few first timers have taken a glow stick in with them oh. just so they can still get Part of the benefits, I mean, I am really passionate about the dark um, and how your body needs that darkness, but if we're gonna get you in there and even working on it, uh, that's my goal. I have to ask this question because the first time I was ever turned on to float tanks was actually through an episode of The Simpsons. Are you familiar with that? It's been a while, but yeah. And in that episode, they were kind of like, hallucinating totally. inside the tank. Yeah. So does stuff like that actually it, happen? It definitely can, yes. Um, when I went, uh, when I was traveling around doing some research on the float tanks, I went to Portland, kind of the hub of floating. Was it FloatCon? Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Like there's Comic-Cons, so there's FloatCons. Yeah, totally, <laughs> it was FloatCon, yeah. And one of the speakers, um, he was talking about the first month he'd been, he'd been floating, he was telling everybody about his floats and people were looking at him like he was crazy, mm -hmm. but he hallucinates. So he just assumed everybody hallucinated <laughs> when they float. Um, for me, I do hallucinate sometimes, not all the time. So it just depends on the day, where I'm at, what kind of float I need. Um, sometimes it can just be like uh, like Aurora Borealis lights kind of. Okay. Other times I've seen like smoke and it'll like make an animal. So then I would like look up that animal and it always resonates. Um, I have had one gentleman, um, he just comes every kind of sporadically, but he, I hate to call him my favorite, but he's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, just because he full on sees things. So I'm always like waiting to see what he saw this time. The first time he thought, um, he thought I'd turn the lights on because he saw sea turtles on the roof. And no he way. thought this is the coolest light ever and he opened the door and it was still dark. So he just closed the door and enjoyed the, enjoyed the show. Um, he is also, I've had more than one, um, but they feel like they're vertical in the tank. But yeah, it's completely, it's completely individual. So yeah. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen in there. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't tell me, I don't know either. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think I've been able to concentrate long enough to, totally. to get something yeah. like that yeah. and, and most times I'm and it's not even it's almost the opposite like the more you're trying to get it you're not yeah. going to get it you just have to relax and just accept that your float's going to be whatever it is yes. and it's yeah. not uncommon to fall asleep in no there. no and so yeah like I said before you're not you're not falling into that deep sleep mm -hmm. you're you're just hitting that that um 
theta wave, so that dream state. So it definitely feels like you're sleeping and you're gonna come back rejuvenated. And actually in that state, um, the capability of the float tank to prolong that state is one of the reasons it's so healing for, for an individual, for things like PTSD, um, like the more serious um, issues or, or yeah, however you wanna call that. All right, give me some good insight here. And I think <laughs> deep breathing is gonna be Follow your breath, yeah. um, take some time, bigger inhales, bigger exhales, just really calming that entire body down, your, your central nervous system. So your central nervous system takes about seven minutes to actually sh not shut down, but kick out so that everything else can just chill. Um, in the flow tank, that's one of the reasons the water is body temperature. I was just going to say that. <laughs> is because if you are too hot or cold, so those mechanisms kicking in, your body won't hit that theta state because your, your physical body is mm -hmm. still working. Yeah. So you kind of need that, that physical body to shut down. Um, and then so the central nervous system can calm completely down and you can get all the benefits from that. Yeah. And it's kind of impossible, not impossible, but difficult to determine where the water in ends and where you're in and where you're out. And that's exactly the, the feeling we're going yeah. for. So no, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything with the water being body temperature. You can't feel anything. Um, so sensory deprivation. There you go. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to go do right now. Yeah. I feel, I feel confident for you this time, Steve. Usually, not usually, Lots of times, the first time, people won't hit that theta state mm -hmm. just because it is such a new experience. I always suggest when people are calling and interested in it but feel a little bit nervous to come down and see the tanks before they even come for their yeah. appointment, um, just taking that out of the picture of like what you're actually physically getting into, just knowing what you're physically getting into can take a little bit of the anxiety or the nervousness out from that new experience as it is. Um, but yeah, it definitely takes a few times to to know what you're getting into and to be okay with it. Hopefully yeah. third time's the charm. Let's go find out. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, Alyssa. My pleasure. So I just finished up my float. So when I first got into the tank and closed the door, lied down, I did get that sensation of, ooh, it's confined in here. I'd really like to know where the door is or at least see some light in case anything happens. So within the first two minutes, I was getting that feeling that I was dreading. But I did do some breathing exercises and just kind of thought about being in my bed at home. And that seemed to ease the anxiety. And pretty soon, I, I was just floating there. Really didn't have that sensation of being confined. And then I was able to let go a little more, and I'd say, it's hard to judge time in there, but if I had to guess somewhere around 25 minutes to a half hour, that's when I actually experienced that Aurora Borealis that Alyssa was talking about, just green lights kind of waving around. It lasted probably four to five minutes, and then uh, the big problem, and I've had this too, the last two times I did the float was the neck. You can totally feel your neck after an extended period of time, so I was trying to mess with ways of alleviating, not quite pain, but just discomfort. And that kind of took away from the experience, and then probably in the last 15, 20 minutes, I had to pee, so I was kind of out of the whole experience at that point. But I can say I made it the full 90 minutes this time without having to 
open up that door without having to take a breath or reset anything. So the breathing exercises and just kind of thinking about being in my own bed at home really helped get me through 90 minutes. Here I am at Safety Buzz Campus, just outside Medicine Hat in the hamlet of Dunmore with co-owner and creative director, Amy Zook. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, I should say I'm at the award-winning Safety Buzz Campus because you guys just picked up two awards with our local Chamber of Commerce, Business Ethics and Award of Excellence. So congratulations on that, first of all. Thanks so much. Before we get into the confined spaces area, let's talk about you quickly. Is it true that you started Safety Buzz as like a one-woman show over 15 years ago? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, in 2004, I uh, I decided with some of the experience that I had working as a, a field operator in the oil field okay. and taking a lot of these different courses that this was something I was passionate about. And uh, growing up on a farm, I, uh, I'm i going to say that I learned some of the wrong things to do. Okay. So this was a real process of unlearning and something that, uh, you know, I've, I've loved every moment of it. Very, very passionate about safety. Uh, since you bring it up, any bonehead moments you want to share with us on the farm? <laughs> oh, actually, I've got a good confined space one. Oh. Growing up, I remember one time in particular that we had problems with our septic tank. Oh, okay. So my dad tells my brother, luckily, you know, he's the guy, so he got to do it. You got to go down in the septic tank and you got to check the pump. And my brother's like, oh, no way, I'm not going in there. I want PPE. So he expected my uncle, who worked at Esso at the time, mm-hmm. to go get him a full SCBA, you know, full splash suit, everything. And so anyway, went to the shop, got a nylon rope, got a basically a rain suit and a dust mask. That was his PPE. Down he went. And I laugh about it now because, you know, it's a real crappy situation. Yeah. But it could have been... A deadly situation knowing what I know now mm-hmm. so you know I'm really passionate when I think of training and even some of the things I did starting in the field you know I was in a lot of different tanks and vessels boilers and I didn't have anybody watching over me other than my dad who was in the near vicinity and being a large man I think you know what if something would have went wrong yeah he would have raced in to help and we would have both been stuck we would have both been in trouble and oxygen deficiency it's it's a very deadly silent killer you don't see it you don't sense it you you just basically you might feel good or you don't have those warnings so we we need to train people on how to detect problems that especially can't see that's a major part of the level one course that you teach here in confined spaces is getting in and detecting if there is hazards you talked about uh something that could be in the atmosphere what are the other hazards that you might see in a confined space oh man there there's so many you know atmosphere tends to be the one that people focus on the most Mm -hmm. whether it uh, be not enough oxygen could be h2s there's a lot of flammable gases you can end up with in the air Uh, oil fields especially, but a lot of industries as well could have um, explosive hazards. Oh, really? Hazards could be something like, okay, it's dark. I can't communicate with people. I'm freaking out because this is something that's scaring me. It could be a medical condition. If you have, um, you know, any, any type of medical could be angina attacks, stroke could be, you name it, really. Yeah those could become a problem, especially if you're doing heavy work. 
Plus, you look at the jobs people are doing in confined spaces. Maybe they're producing the hazard you know, through welding, through using chemicals for cleaning. So, uh, you know, when, when we're taking a confined space course, uh, a huge part of it is just really interacting with the students mm -hmm. and getting them to tell me what they think their hazards are and then exploring even deeper into some of the things that they had no clue about. Sure. Uh, let's back up for one second. Sure. Is there a specific definition on what a confined space actually is? Yeah, there definitely is. So we, we really follow Alberta Occupational Health and Safety in most, most everything we teach. So a confined space is enclosed or partially enclosed space, not designed or intended for continuous human occupancy, with a restricted means of access or egress, and can be hazardous because, and then we get into talking, is it the atmosphere? Is it the construction so it's a pretty lengthy definition. Yeah. So I guess septic tank really does fit that definition. You're not dropping me in a septic tank today, are you? Well, I was thinking about it. <laughs> no, we'll keep you out of the septic tank. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the level one course we kind of touched on, but then the confined spaces level two course has to deal with uh, rescues and S, uh, is SCBAs. Correct. The self-contained breathing apparatus, which I think I kind of have a, a problem with that freaks me out mm. is do you find that with a lot of people <laughs> you're shaking your oh, head oh definitely yeah 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 it's it's really important as as instructors like we've got an amazing team of instructors and all of us have a lot of experience so we take short baby steps when we're doing things like putting on breathing apparatus like you know when, it, when you and I practice we're going to do it step by step together okay I'm going to talk you through it we're going to take our time but uh yeah when when someone's putting on a mask and expecting to get air coming you're still nervous because yeah. that mask it's right on your your face so you, you need to have that education that that time to actually be comfortable mm -hmm. to put on a breathing apparatus so yeah for sure that's uh Something we've experienced. Because when we were, I was uh, doing a preamble to coming out here yeah. and talking about these SCBAs and why I have a problem with it, then it dawned on us that I'm kind of confining my face yeah. into a mask and then going into a confined area. So it's almost like a, would you say a double whammy? I would totally agree with you. I, w I would say there's certainly enough people that putting on the breathing apparatus is going to be a more of a limitation for them than actually going into the confined space. So yeah, you'll get a double whammy. Yeah, and I think I'm more fearful of the the breathing apparatus than the confined space, but we'll see what happens in a few minutes here. So For sure. Now you have, correct me if I'm wrong, but three confined space simulators on the property here? I suppose so. We've got two main ones. Okay. Uh, one, one of the confined space, it goes from a a wood structure vessel to a tank. Oh, okay. And then the one you're going to enter, uh, it's a uh, larger sea can. So that one's got uh, a lot of extra nooks and crannies. It's our more advanced confined space. Okay. When you're running regular courses and you get somebody in full gear and mm -hmm. running them through a simulator like that, how often do people have to tap out, give up, say, <laughs> I can't do this? Is it something that happens often? Actually, you know what? It's not. It's not that often because I I feel like we're taking enough time to really tell people and prep them what's happening. But uh, don't get me wrong. I've have had people that have panicked, and I've had a few people that have refused entry because they they were feeling too claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing to realize ahead of time because certainly not everybody 
should be a confined space rescuer. And our course is, is really not deeming people to rescue, it's deeming people to understand what rescue is all about. They need a lot more training to actually be a well-trained rescuer. Mm -hmm. Our course is uh, more focused around, this is what it may be like to enter a confined space. And then people realize right away, hey, you know, this is something I, I'm fine with, or this is something that I should really tell my employer that it's probably not meant for me. Now, I might be putting you on the spot here. I should have asked beforehand, but do you, ha <laughs> do you have any stats when it comes to injuries or deaths when it comes to confined spaces, either in our province or across the country? Uh, is there any solid stats? You know, I don't have a ton of solid stats. One thing that I will give you as a stat that's a very important one, that um, 50 to 60% of confined space fatalities are happening to rescuers. And it's because they're not trained. They're, they're running in on impulse or emotion. Mm -hmm. They're not preparing themselves. They're not protecting themselves to go in. So, you know, one of the uh, largest things in relation to doing a rescue is the preparation ahead of time. And to, and to have been very well experienced. So that's probably what the level two deals with your course. Can you maybe give us a quick run through as to what somebody should know before jumping headfirst into a situation like that? Sure. Yeah. So for the, for the level two, I guess the, the knowledge that going into a confined space is, is not necessarily just going into a small dark area. You know, I, I want to look at both sides of it. It, it can be a intimidating situation, but on the other hand, a lot of confined spaces don't, um, don't look and feel like a confined space. So for the level two, getting in, feeling around, seeing what you're dealing with, knowing the space ahead of time is so important. Okay. Not going in blind and expecting, hey, if somebody's down, I'll know where they are, I'll be able to get them. That's why the planning is so crucial. You know, sit down with your team before you do a confined space project. Build the layout, communicate with the worker who's in the confined space so you know where they're at at all mm -hmm. times. So that's a safety watch's job. And then in the very, very slim chance a rescue would ever be needed, make sure you're experienced and trained enough. So our, our course, like I said, it's really, it's giving prep, but it, we're, we're not certifying experienced, trained rescuers to be rescuers they need more training yeah like firefighters for example that's a perfect way to look at it a firefighter they train and practice all the time uh, a rescue team that you would hire to come onto your site that you know that would be where they're competent okay so you mentioned the CCAN simulator that I'll be going into. Can you just give me a little bit more detail before we actually do that? What What's it like in there? <laughs> you just don't want me to throw you in surprised? <laughs> I don't know. Should I go in blind? Weren't you just talking about you should know as much as possible before going into a confined space? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So in our CCAN, when you go, go into the CCAN, you're... You don't have a whole lot of options where you go, but it, it's it's a little like a maze. So there's enough area to move around with an SCBA, but it's not uh, overly roomy, and you're going to be squiggling up, down, and around to get to make your way through. So you know it's uh, it's about a twenty foot sea can with you know up and down levels. So yeah, it it'll be interesting and certainly. If you want to take a good peek in before you go, that is a great idea. Okay. So have you done this simulator with full gear on? Yes, I have. And you made it through? You didn't tap out? I didn't tap out. All I right did then. it. 
That's all I needed to know. <laughs> uh, so any predictions on how I will do in there? If you were a betting girl? If I, I think you're going to do just fine. Okay. I think we're going to take the time to just get you comfortable, Steve, before we just throw you in there to the wolves. So, you know, that's, that's a big part. Like I've said over and over again, we're going to talk about it. We're going to plan. I'm going to be your safety watch. So I'm going to be talking to you when you're in there. I'm going to be asking you if you're okay. I'm going to be asking you how you're feeling, if you feel you need to come out, or if you know, you're okay to continue. Then came the time to actually strap on the gear. Amy took me down to her office where it was all laid out, and she talked me through the entire process. With the SCB itself, we're going to put this on much like a backpack. So it consists of CSA approved breathing air. Ooh, and it's just air? It's just, just normal air? Nothing, nothing fancy about it. Ballpark, how much air is inside one of these tanks? There is supposed to be 30 minutes of air. Now that's going to be for a really well experienced person. And these aren't full tanks, so you're probably going to have about seven minutes of air. Whew. Which shouldn't, it shouldn't take you long to no. go through if you're just going through, but if you want to go and explore, then. No, I think in and out is probably best. Okay. I don't need to explore. All right. Oh, I'm just picking up the, the tank. Oh, what would you say, about 40? It's a good 30, 35 30. pounds, yep. Okay, yeah, so you got that cumbersome. on your back, crawling through a dark space yeah. with a mask on. Okay. Yeah. Number one step. Or turn the air on. Oh, turn the air on. Whoop. That's good. That's, that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. I feel like a Ghostbuster right now. Yeah, <laughs> you look like a Ghostbuster. Buckle it up. Okay. Now for our mask. Okay, this is the... Right, no glasses. No glasses. So how, how is it feeling on your face? Does it feel like it's stuck to your face or is it... It certainly does feel like it's stuck to my face. It's tight okay. but I'm getting some good oxygen flow through here right now which still is, are yeah which Take a few breath. right now it's I feel good once you once you see me do this then then give it a try quarter turns to the left deep breath okay, deep breath and then you just keep breathing normal and then you are like dark Vader. This actually isn't too bad. Yeah. Good. All right. Okay, so you're going to use your thumb, pull that little tab forward, press this button, turn. So this is the button on the top right here. Give it a push. Yeah. And then close this. This button's good. <laughs> oh, that button. There we go. Okay, now so. that I've wasted all the air in here. Okay, so far, that wasn't uh, as bad as I was thinking it was gonna be. Okay, so what's my objective here? Just to get to the other side and back? Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna... The red one up, yep. Okay, deep breath. There you go. Okay, oxygen flowing. I think I'm good. Okay, I'm going in. Okay, let's leave the, the hatch open for now. Deal. I'll leave it open. All right. Okay, good luck. Inside, there's still some light. That's good. 
Uh, gotta get down and crawl. Oh, I should have taken my watch off. Oh. oh, it's getting tight. So I crawled on my hands and knees around a few tight corners and made it to the end of the simulator in about two minutes. There I was able to stand up and get in a quick stretch, then turned around and headed for the exit. Woo! What's the best way to come out? Ass uh, first? Just the same way you're going. Just like this? You want to put your feet up first? Yeah, you did? Now press this button. Yep, right there. And then the top turn. There you go. Just like an expert. Whew. All right. How was that? I was a little nervous when I first got in there. Yeah. But, you know, I was getting some really good oxygen flow and yeah. it was working perfect, so I never really had a problem breathing. A bit tight to my face, a little constrictive, but yeah. you know, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It, what I found worse was uh, crawling on my knees and my and my elbows yes. hurt. But no, the way I was getting oxygen from this mask made it pretty easy. That was it was a lot better than I was expecting. So there was light, so it wasn't complete oh, darkness, okay. but but that's fine. Some tight corners in there when I got towards the end. Yes. It definitely was darker there. Overall, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, so... Good. No, now, just imagine somebody going in there to bring another body yeah. out, to bring a life out. That's when uh, it really <laughs> can get pretty scary, so planning yeah, and yeah. preparedness. Planning, preparedness, Practice. yeah. I guess it helps, too, that I know I'm in a controlled, safe situation. Yeah. Yeah. You were there to rescue me if need be, so... <laughs> yeah. This This was nice. good. Awesome. awesome. Welcome back to HQ. Once again, joined by Dave Cruikshank. Thank you, sir. Hey, no problem. Now, I have not seen you since we recorded the intro to this almost two weeks ago now. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it has been forever. <laughs> I have to tell you, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Really? And yeah. Especially when it comes to the self-contained breathing apparatus. When we had talked two weeks ago... I think that was my big concern, was strapping on the mask and having to breathe oxygen. And uh, I sat down with Amy from Safety Buzz, and uh, she talked me through the whole thing, uh, which made me comfortable. But here's the thing. I did have a microphone strapped to my, uh, to my clothing while I was going through there, and I was more concerned about somehow crushing or breaking my microphone that I just kind of wanted to, <laughs> that was more on my mind. So I was trying not to damage the equipment, right. like my own equipment. And so I wasn't thinking much about the confined space. So I just kind of made my way through it. And so having my mind on something else, I think might've helped me get through this with no real problems. And I got to the end of the trailer where you're supposed to turn around and come back. But when I got to the end, I was able to stand up for a second and really think about it and hear the of the um, of the self-contained breathing apparatus. Mm -hmm. And for a brief moment, I I got a, a sense of panic for some reason. Like I was able to soak in what was happening. <laughs> Once no. you once you were out, once I was at the end of oh, the simulator, okay. yeah. so I was still inside, but I was in an area where I, there was some light and I could stand up. So it was just weird. I had a second to think about what was actually going on, and I 
did get a, a, a sense of panic. But then I got back down on my hands and knees and didn't want to crush my microphone. So I was just crawling as fast as I could to get out. So the secret then is always take something that's more fragile than you are, <laughs> yeah. because then you become the nurturer. <laughs> that, take, a, take a little gerbil with you. <laughs> or an egg. Or an egg. Just like those high school experiments, you know, to yeah, simulate right. a baby, that's you have right. to take care of the egg for yeah. a week. Yeah. Wow. But honestly, that's kind of what helped me through this situation. I didn't want to damage my own microphone equipment. So I had that on my mind and wasn't thinking too much about crawling through this space. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I think it, you know, there's a, there's a huge lesson to be learned here when it comes to doing something new in that you tend to um, have that anxiety yeah. before the event. And, and that's what drives your fear without actually having experienced something. My son, I was talking to you before the, before we were recording how uh, my son dreads having, you know, his shots or his vaccines or yep. whatever, and he'll dread it, you know, for days before, because we tell him, you know, well, we're, we're going to uh, go and get our vaccine shots or our vaccinations um, um, on Tuesday. And so for yep. days before he will just he's just in his head and yep. he's he's his own worst enemy and then when he finally gets it done inevitably the the words that come out of his mouth are that's it that's all there is i think that was the case with this uh, self-contained breathing apparatus i had built it up so much in my head as we talked about off the top of this this episode i had built it up built it up into some sort of monster that i was dreading and then once i finally I was able to take a look at the equipment and Amy explained everything to me. And then when I put it on, it was, it was fine. Just you, like when your son got the shot. Oh, that was it. That was it. You conquered the beast and the beast was yeah. you. And I hadn't worn anything like that for probably a decade at least. Yeah. So the last time I had an experience with that equipment was so long ago that I, I don't have a complete memory of it. It might have been foggy, mm -hmm. so I was just filling in the pieces with a lot of fear. Wow. And so, yeah, that anxiety built up, but once I actually got the equipment on, I was good, which, which made going through the confined space simulator much more easy than I expected. So now that I have experience with this equipment... I think scuba diving is something that's going to be on the table. That's, that's going to be the next, next step. That's going to be the next step at some point. Let's push it a little further next time. So tune in this summer for Steve swims with sharks. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. Let's hit, let, let's hit, let's hit two comfort zones at once. Scuba diving and sharks. Not sure where you'll find a shark in Southern Alberta, but <laughs> oh, we'll take, we'll get you but, somewhere. <laughs> but all in all, I think comfort zone has been expanded, especially when it comes to these C, uh, SCBAs. Like, I, I feel like I could go through another simulator, um, maybe not no problem, but much more comfortable than I had built it up in my head previously. Amazing. So, Good comfort job. zone, expanded. The Comfort Zone Chronicles is a plugged-in media production, hosted by Steve Kryzak, edited and directed by Dave Crookshank. Executive producer is Rob Pape. To reach out, please contact us at ComfortZoneChronicles.com or on Facebook at ComfortZoneChronicles. Check out our other great podcasts at PyMediaNetwork.com or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.